0: Welcome to The Power to Create Yourself with Ross Rameen. If you or someone you are close to is dealing with addiction, there are so many programs out there that can help you. But how do you gauge which ones are going to work the best for you? Some are expensive... Some deal with some of the issues, but don't get to the heart of the matter. Others treat the problem at a basic level, but don't determine ultimate success. Join us now for an hour that sets out to be truly groundbreaking, and will help you discover how to find the best program for your addiction problem. Now, here is Ross Rameen.
1: Hi, good morning. Welcome to the show. We're coming to you from the Rebos Treatment Center, um, live in Los Angeles, California. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. Really, really appreciate it. Today, um, we've got kind of a special show for us. Um, Well, I like to think every week is a special show um, that we've got going on. But we have a guest today, Angela Opalik. um, She's the CEO of Veritable uh, Medical Billing Company. And welcome to the show, Angela.
2: Thank you, Ross. Thanks for having
1: me. You got it. So uh, just to kind of lay this out for our listeners, Angela, of what you do and just in how you you help me um, and so on and so forth, you you are the CEO of a medical billing company and um, you deal specifically with um, you know drug and alcohol treatment centers across the country, and uh-huh. you you have a the reason why you're on today is because you have you know, besides my job of pulling, you know, heroin addicts out of trees on a daily basis, you have to fight with insurance companies and we go, you know, you and I talk a lot and I talk to a lot of people in the industry as do you with your constant training to always stay on top of what's real and what's not. Um, and one of the things that's going on right now that, you know, in our industry is just client coverage, um, you know, we see patients, there's so many topics I want to talk with you about today, so I'm just going to kind of jump into it, obviously, but there's okay. client coverage, there's lack of coverage, there is uh, misunderstandings about health insurance, Obamacare, you've got a new president coming in who's supposed to be uh, repealing and replacing this whole thing. I really want to talk to you today about what is going on with medical insurance in our industry and you being an absolute expert on this. Hopefully you can answer some questions because I know there's a mom, there's a dad, there's a you know a, a potential patient out there who's suffering that uh, just needs so much help. There's so many I don't know I'm, I'm my heart is just starting to pound through my chest cuz I get <laughs> as you know me I get extremely ramped up about this stuff. Um, so basically I want to break it down with you is what what are we what is going on in a nutshell what are you seeing in the medical insurance industry right now for just in general like the goods the pluses and the minuses my idea there's probably more minuses than pluses going on right now
2: yeah definitely so as far as the pluses obviously since 2010 you know more americans have health insurance than have ever had. And so, that in itself is positive for everyone in healthcare, but most importantly, us as consumers, as Americans, this is something that was completely unheard of when it originally um, was created. Um, I think one of the biggest negatives going on in the medical insurance space right now is that... Parents who are desperate and patients who are desperate to get treatment are purchasing policies that maybe they don 't understand the full you know benefit structure of their policy what is covered, what is not covered, how much is covered um, you know so to to start with coverage. You know, when you purchase a policy in a certain state, and it's the state that you live in, um, and you receive a subsidy from that state, which is assistance in helping you pay the premium based on your um, income. You know, a lot of the payers take the stance that if you purchase in our state, it's difficult to get treatment out of state because you have to prove residency. And as you know, these patients are uprooted from where they live, and they're usually placed somewhere in another state, whether it's in a sober home or some type of, you know, residential facility. And so the payers find a loophole at that point to not pay something, saying the patient's moved out of the state. Well, of course they've move temporarily out of the state to get treatment, but that's one of the things that comes up first and foremost is the patients don't understand that they have to establish residency in the state that they're purchasing insurance and then when they go to get treatment, they have to communicate back to their payer saying, okay Blue Cross, I know I'm residing, let's say, in California getting treatment right now, but I have every intention of going back home when I'm when I'm recovered. Um, so, so that's one of the biggest negatives right now. We've seen some payers go back and actually terminate, retroactively terminate patients' policies back one year, return their premiums, and request refunds from the facilities that provided care and help them get better.
1: So well, let's even break it, it down. Quite, e- let's, let's get even nastier with this. Mm-hmm. Let's get like, you know, this... Back in the glory days of insurance, the, the way, the glory days, um, you know, when I went through treatment over 10 years ago, you could mm-hmm. look up your insurance and it would say you have, you know, X amount of time for an inpatient, de- you know, it was just kind of broken down. You know, granted, sure. you know, insurance companies were very um, kind of prejudiced, you know, you, if you had, you know, pre, you know, pre-existing conditions and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. you know, you weren't getting insurance or just really bad insurance, so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. with Obamacare, there has been some pluses because people can get insurance now. Pre-existing conditions. I mean, you ha- you right. have a piece of paper that says you have insurance. I think that's correct. important to say. There's a piece that's of paper correct. that says you have insurance.
0: Now yes, let's get into the details of, paper. of what.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now let's get into the um you know the nitty gritty of what the paper says. One of the things that I find on a daily on a daily basis, multiple times a day, is you know first and foremost you know addiction is in 1956 by the you know American Medical Association addiction was defined as a disease mm-hmm. and in all diseases you know should be treated equally with the same kind of gusto behind it same medical attention same seriousness behind it and one thing that has very much come to truth with this is it's not Especially especially for addiction and alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Um, We get clients that have been through, say, three treatments in three years, one year, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. And the insurance company says, no, we're not going to pay for this anymore. Um, We have and we're looking at it like this client, this man or this woman, this kid. I mean, this could be an 18-year-old kid with a wicked heroin addiction who has had three suicide attempts. and Insurance companies literally say no. No, we're not going to give you any more help. Now, if I had three heart attacks in three years, I don't see an insurance company closing me down for that. Like, you can't get any more help now. You can't do this. What is – this is – how do you get? How do you fix people when you when you have insurance, but your insurance company won't help you? It's literally a piece of paper, and you can pay fifty bucks a month, or you could pay a thousand dollars a month, and the people are still running into this for this specific
3: disease.
2: What? What is? What? So yeah, So it's very easy, Ross. Like what? What has caused all of the issues, at least since the, the implementation of the Affordable Care Act, is that, and, and I'll just piggyback off of what Tim said before he, he closed his show, is that some facilities are not doing it the right way and they've abused the insurance system, which make it difficult for facilities like yours that do do it the right way and do have structure and do have plan of care and do have positive outcomes. You know, the insurance companies are fed up with those facilities who are not doing things the right way and who don't provide you know who don't provide full care to the patients. So what I mean is they don't follow up upon discharge. They're not making sure that the patients are in the best position not to relapse. So what the insurance companies are looking for is they're looking for more structure. You know, they're looking for the patients to have more of a commitment to their treatment and to to the outcome, versus just moving them around from bad facility to a good facility back to a bad facility, they're really looking for the facilities. Um, and something that we're working on, obviously together, is to promote those facilities that are doing it the right way for the right reason, and allow those other facilities that are not providing the best care possible to hopefully go out of business and 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 I be gone be- because they really they really do, unfortunately, Ross give give the industry a very bad name. And that is affecting how the payers are responding to these patients and to their need. I think just to hit on what you were saying before is that, you know, yes, pre-existing conditions are gone, but a lot of times these care managers that manage these patients on the payer side, they can see all of their claims data. So they know that they've been moving from facility to facility. So some of the things that we're recommending to our clients is saying, if a patient has come from another facility, we need good information. Why did they leave? What was it about the program that wasn't successful for them? Maybe they didn't have family support. Maybe they didn't have evening groups. So we really push our clients to give us as much information as possible as to why the patient is moving from facility to facility so that we can communicate back to the payer and say, this is the right place for them and this is why and this is how they're going to be supported.
1: Well, let me just ask to really kind of base I mean that makes sense, and I get that. yeah, but aren't there like other hospitals, medical places that are um not up to caliber, so to say? And yet they're you know they're not up to caliber, whether it's transplants, um, mm-hmm. you know, regular surgeries uh, from from whether it's a knee to, you know, you get your knee scope, whatever it is, other diseases, Mm -hmm. you know, there's other hospitals, other medical institutions that um, are not running a tight ship, so to say. And I don't, I don't hear about, and I actually had a doctor in here yesterday. He's one of the biggest um, liver transplant specialists in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And it just really seems like our industry is like this Ugly stepchild that is just getting, you know, kind of hosed, so to say. Why is it that other, or maybe you know this? I mean, well, I mean, I I don't know how to to say it.
2: The hospitals are managed a little bit differently than than substance abuse. And I will tell you that I think that substance abuse facilities are moving in this direction where there's going to be very clear, um, You know, there's going to be very clear guidelines that need to be met, and there's going to be minimum set of standards that need to be met in order to see patients in an in- or out-of-network insurance space. And I don't know if yesterday in the paper there was a big article about this hospital system in Savannah, Georgia, that are being penalized in 2017 by 1% of their Medicare and Medicaid payments because they're not meeting, they're at the bottom of sort of the food chain of hospitals. They're not meeting quality issues and patient outcome issues. You know, they're having so issues. Just and so just that specific hospital. That's how the hospitals are penalized.
1: So, okay, so that one, but right now, this looks like it's, it looks like these payers, these insurance companies are taking on a whole industry as opposed to just specific places.
2: They are, and I will tell you, like a few years ago, it's actually more than a few, it's probably about 10 years ago, they took on medical imaging, you know, high-end imaging, like MRI, PET, CT, you know, they took on imaging in a very clear way, and CMS said, we're going to... we all imaging facilities that provide these high-end imaging studies have to be accredited through the ACR. And if they're not accredited, they're not going to be paid. So, as you know, because we've been talking about these payers, they're requiring some sort of facility accreditation, whether it's through JACO or CARF or some other accrediting entity. And they're saying... If there's no JACO accreditation, we're not going to allow our patients to go to your facility because those, those guidelines and those measures are put in place to ensure that the patient's getting the best possible care and that the standards at the facility stay high, And they're Jayco? not sort of rolling can, can you, around in the mud.
1: Can you explain what JACO is for our listeners? What, what is that?
2: Right. So JACO is the Joint Commission. It's an accreditation board and JACO has different areas of accreditation for different specialties. So it's really like the creme de la creme of accreditation when you talk about either, you know, imaging, hospitals go through JCO accreditation, and, and, you know, behavioral health and substance abuse facilities can get accredited. But there's hundreds of measures that you have to meet to say, yes, we have the right type of clinical staff. We have patient security. We have, you know, billing compliance. We have, you know, um, a medical board, you know, we have a a board of directors. I mean, they look for, I mean, there's hundreds of measures for the substance abuse space alone. So what it does is it kind of separates the men from the boys. You know, and they want the boys to follow the wayside, and they want the facilities who are really doing it for the right reasons the right way to stay in business. And those are the facilities that are going to sort of float to the top of some of these changes that are happening that we're seeing even yeah. this year and that we'll see beyond 2017 into 2018. I don't think they want to prevent patients from getting treatment, but they want to know, Ross, that if a patient's going to treatment, that they're committed and that they, and that they stay the course and that there's a plan for them. And I think a lot of, you know, what we've seen in some of these payer changes is that they're forcing the treatment facilities to, you know, tighten up their clinical process and create a standard of care that has positive outcomes and decrease readmissions for relapse.
1: Yeah. I want to, you know, I want to talk about, we got to jump to a break in a second, but I want to jump into the next thing. I want to talk about standard of care. What that is. Mm-hmm. I, I want to, I, I really, you know, one of my things I keep coming up with in my head, it's like, who's committing malpractice? Is it, I mean, yeah, I mean, I know there's some healthcare places that commit malpractice, but are the insurance mm-hmm. companies committing malpractice? I mean, in the sense, or can they even be held liable for stuff like that? I don't know if you can answer those questions, but, you know, I just, it's it's a thought that always comes to my mind. And what what is a standard of care and how do you do a standard of care when you only have X amount of dollars? It's, you know, I so don't answer that right now. I want to jump to a quick commercial break. Um, I want to um, give us time in our next segment to kind of jump into that stuff and just kind of hear your thoughts on that and what you hear from other families. Because I know you talk to families, too. I know you talk to mm-hmm. a lot of places. Um, we do. So, anyway, we're talking to Angela. She's the CEO of Veritable Billing, uh, Medical Billing, and um, she's an expert in um, insurance and what what works and what doesn't work in this field. Um, Angela, thanks for joining us. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial, and we'll be right back.
0: ...isn't just about not drinking and not doing drugs. It's a way of life. At Rebos, we have a team of talented professionals, each with their own clear and distinct message to walk clients from the darkest point in their lives out into the light. Rebos offers a carefully curated selection of groups and workshops in addition to a minimum of six individual sessions per week. At Rebos, we believe there are no cookie-cutter clients... And we meet every individual where they are at today. It's not a Rebos program. It's your program. Our team wants to help as many people as possible become who they want to be. And if you don't know who you want to be, we'll help you. Visit RebosTreatment.com to learn more about the Rebos Treatment Center.
3: That's Treatment.com. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
0: You are listening to The Power to Create Yourself with Ross Rameen. To find out more about Ross and the program, visit the Rebos Treatment Center website at com. Now, back to the power to create yourself.
1: Hi, thanks for joining us again. Um, we are coming to you from Los Angeles at the Rebos Treatment Center. If you want to hear more about um, Rebos and what we do and why we are so special, you can go to rebostreatment.com. R-E-B-O-S, uh, Rebos is sober spelled backwards. Um, just in case you were wondering, Anyway, we were on the phone with um, Angela Pollock. She's the CEO of veritable Billing, uh, medical billing company. She specializes in um, the addiction field and the um, and the billing of that and the insurance that goes with that. Angela, thanks again for joining us today.
0: Thank um,
1: you, Ross. Yeah, you got it. Um, I real I want to talk when we went to commercial. We talked about like a standard level of care, and
2: mm-hmm.
1: there. One of my biggest fights. I, you know, I go around the country and I go to these conferences and I, I speak constantly about this. I think there are so many. I think there's a lot of really, lot. Of, I think there's a lot of very good intentioned places out there, treatment facilities. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is, is since, since this has become a, a officially alcoholism addiction became a disease in 1956 very little has has changed there are treatment centers that have been around since the 50s and the 60s that literally do the exact same treatment since the day they opened to yesterday I mean the Mm -hmm. exact same thing nothing has changed and we have a 95% failure rate Mm. I mean Think about that. Everybody always talks about the success rates. I like to talk about the failure rate because there's a 95% failure rate when it comes to addiction. On average per week, this is an extremely conservative number because I can't find a a hard number on it because it all depends on who's paying for the um for the survey uh, obviously when it comes to any result inv- involving death. But on average, we lose about 200 people um, per day from mm. alcohol or drug addiction. That could be DUIs, overdosing um you know, um, overdosing by accident, anything that involves a narcotic or an alcoholic substance, we lose 200 a day. I see some that say four, about up to, I've seen up to 473 a day. I've seen them down Mm -hmm. to 150. The numbers totally depending on who is paying for it. And that's just in the United States. Um, so the, we actually have listeners that are listening to us all over the world right now. And so I'm just quoting United States, um, numbers that we have. And, what is appalling to me it's we were kind of touching on it before about the standard level of care Uh to me there i mean in 1956 i mean AA, you know alcoholics anonymous came out in the you know in the in the mid to late 30s and when bill wilson and dr silkworth were doing this thing but treatment really started kind of in the mid 50s and There is no, the standard of care is the same in the fifties as it is now for 95% give or take of treatment centers that are around. Now, granted, there's a few specialized places in the country that do just trauma or just Mm -hmm. do just depression, you know, that type of like real specifics, but you know, just drug alcohol counseling treatment hasn't changed and no wonder we have a 95% failure rate and what's going on. So my thing of when you are talking about a standard of care that is needed to have by all this stuff, I don't see a standard of care. What goes on? Because when you, when I go to these conferences, everybody's talking about, oh, we do a little of this. We do a little of that. We have yoga, mm-hmm. we have equine therapy. We have <laughs> arts and crafts. We have... It's almost like this is where I'm getting real ornery. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> because I think Rebos is so different, but and I kind of do this to pick a fight, but there is no standard level of care out there. I mean, there it's almost like the standard level of care is equine therapy, poetry therapy, you know, uh um, photo therapy. These are hobbies which are extremely important when you are redoing your life, but it's kind of like majors and minors in college. It's almost like they're, they're majoring in the photo in all this. This is cost effective treatment for the treatment owners. Um, It's not treatment. It's not saving lives. And I don't see any commission, any, any healthcare commission, whether it's Jayco, whether it's state, you know, regulation places, uh, whether it's insurance companies. So when you say, when you say standard level of care, S- says who? Like who
2: is saying so, this
1: is a standard level yeah, of so, care?
2: Because
3: yeah, this so is a shit about show, that,
2: Ross. Because because what <laughs> what the the standard of care? Produces is, is clinical structure and I think a lot of facilities, the facilities, some facilities that are not our clients, people that, that have just come to us and said, hey, can you take a look at what we're doing? You know, they are looking for accurate and robust documentation. I think what we found is a lot of the clinical documentation, which is which, well, I'm going to get to ancillaries in a second. You just went through your whole list. I'm trying to I'm get not, all your I'm not lighting you up.
1: I'm lighting up we're the gonna, industry right now. No, we're going <laughs> so so to get to
2: art it. therapy in a little bit. But the truth of the matter is, is that the insurance companies are looking for accurate and robust documentation. The documentation has to tell the story of the patient. You know, I've seen notes for patients attending groups that slept through the groups. That's not what the insurance company needs to see. They need to see that the patient has a plan for discharge. They need to see that you as a facility are working towards the discharge of that patient, but not just like kicking him out the front door after a certain amount of months. It's saying like, how are you helping the patient be successful back out in the real world, if you will, outside of the walls of Rebos? What is it that you're doing to make sure that this patient's successful and doesn't come back to treatment? You know, it's the same thing in the hospital space. They started penalizing hospitals for readmissions in 72 hours because they said, listen, you have to get to the root of the problem. These readmissions are costing Medicare and Medicaid billions of dollars. So either you fix the problem when they're under your roof initially or you're not going to get paid when they readmit within 72 hours. So it's, it's the same thing in, in substance abuse. They're looking for you to stick to a plan with that patient To have a structure in the clinical space that says, this is what happens when the patient comes in. We have, you know, consequences when they don't show up. They understand what they're supposed to be doing. They understand when they need to show up. Why is the patient not complying? You know, is the patient committed to getting help or they just don't want to return to the real world out of fear for a relapse? So, we have to really clinically support everything that we're doing, and I've seen notes that are absolutely phenomenal, and I've seen notes that don't support the clinical structure that the patient, you know, is under. So, when we talk about level of care, when you get JCO accredited, they want to see that you have policies and procedures in place for your clinical platform. They don't go through those policies and procedures and say, yes, this is going to work, or no, it's not. So, they don't look for specific things. They look that you have guidelines in place, and that your clinical staff is... You know, competent that you have you think the that's right an important people doing the right things the right way.
1: Do you think that's an important highlight for when you know when Mrs. Smith, who you know whoever is looking for Mrs. Smith is looking for her daughter to get you know treatment? Should they just be looking specifically for JCO accredited places? Just makes well, them that I, I much more competent. Gives,
2: yeah, I, I think it gives a lot more meat to to the facility when they have a JCO accreditation. Mm-hmm. It, it says that the facility is taking the time to put policies and procedures in place for security, for safety, for billing. For clinical care that maybe the guy next door is not. And it's costly. I mean, it costs money for facilities to get accredited and stay accredited and and stay on that list. But at the end of the day, you know, you really want to go to a facility that really takes pride in, in what they're doing. And being accredited is really what that what that signifies is that they've done the work. It's a lot of standards. It's a lot of measures that you have to meet for JCO to put that stamp on your facility. It's a big deal.
1: Yeah.
2: And insurance companies are getting to the point, Ross, where I've had insurance companies and payers last year and now moving into this year saying, we won't pay in and out of network for substance abuse unless the patient goes to a JCO accredited facility or a CARF accredited facility. Yeah. So it's, it's mattering more to the payers, probably more than ever. And like I said, they, they pulled this, you know, 10 years ago in the, in the imaging space that I just happened to be working in at the time. I mean, we spent thousands and thousands of dollars accredit, accrediting our 16 facilities we had because we didn't have a choice. We didn't have a choice. And, that, and that's what I think needs to happen because you will separate the men from the boys, but you'll also make sure that the facilities, like, what if they don't have a platform for no-shows? Like, how do you handle when a patient doesn't come to group? What is the recourse? You know, there's certain things that will open up the eyes of the people running the facility to say, wow, we really do need that in place and we didn't have it before. So it does bring some sense of awareness to the people running this facility as far as what they should be doing, you know, what's in the best interest of the patient.
1: Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. you know, and as
2: far as ancillaries go, I mean, there's been articles I, articles. I read articles. These ancillaries the drive me about nuts. Yoga, I mean, <laughs> you know.
1: I, I like these ancillaries, you know, because yeah. they drive me nuts. They're, and I want to be very clear about this. There is, you know, when you're getting sober, when you're trying to kick heroin, you're not just flipping off a light switch that says, I'm not going to drink, you know, Budweiser anymore, or I'm not going to drink, or I'm not going to shoot heroin anymore. And it's just like, okay, it's Monday morning. We're not doing this anymore. There are so many components to getting sober that it's like, you know, I see clients come in, come into Rebo's when myself nine and a half years ago, when I went through treatment, I just didn't have a cocaine problem I mean my soul was so dark and it was so gnarly I couldn't trust I mean every word that came out of my mouth was a total lie I went to jail twice in one week um, I was I was not a very good person I mean I was I I yes I had a drug problem but that was almost the least of my worries so I think these ancillaries and I want to be clear are important because When people come into treatment, and I think this is important that families understand this because they always want their loved one just to be like, you know, snap of the finger, you know, Mm -hmm. their, their kid, their son, their wife, their husband is all better. This is a well-rounded thing that it has to be done here. You know, the heart, the mind, the body, the soul, everything needs to be repaired. They don't realize that the nooks and crannies that addiction and alcoholism go into, so these ancillary things I think are kinda are they're neat because they really show um that that patient, you know, sunshine in a sense. You know, like right.
2: well outside the normal treatment, Ross, the, the clinical treatment, I mean, like you said, 100%. mind and body are just equally important. So it's I, I addressing, think I just want know, to make chronic this. I know health conditions. conditions
1: yeah. You People build, are getting uh, gonna get crazy. I mean, when they hear that, I just want to make it yeah. clear what I do have an extreme problem is, is when 90 cents, when 90% of your program is ancillary services, mm-hmm. I call BS because it's like, right. no, what you're doing is you're doing watercolors and you're charging through the nose as family therapy. And that is just the biggest bunch of crap I've ever heard in my life. And you are literally to me committing insurance fraud. And on top of it, you're doing malpractice. Um, it's like, it's astonishing to me. And I'm watching for a guy an owner of a treatment center. I averaged three phone calls a week, a week, um, a month ago. I had three in one day of people that die. So I watched this stuff go on and it's like, uh, we need a standard level of care. You go to any hospital in this country. I, mm-hmm pretty much any one of them. If you have a heart attack, there is a standard level of care that happens, you know, from, from ground zero. And then Mm -hmm. if you need something more, you can be shipped to the Mayo clinic or the Cleveland clinic, something along that line. But there's a standard level of care. You know, your notes are, are great, but there has to be a, like a, like a standard level of, this is what you do in the first month, just as a minimum, anything above that, is all gravy, and that's great. Um, But there's no minimum.
2: And I want to speak to that, Ross, because one of the things that we've seen um, is patients who just honestly don't want to face, like, the real world. They find comfort in staying in treatment. So what happens is this is one of the things that the insurance companies have really cracked down on is, let's say the patient's in treatment for two months, they're clean for two months, and now the insurance company wants to, you know, take them down from IOP to to outpatient and the patient goes back out and uses a day just to try and stay in IOP. That's not the solution, but that's, but that's the response that the payers have had. So as much as there is a norm for treating a heart attack, the, the, there's a, there's a, obviously a, a mental aspect to addiction and I, I've never had an addiction. So I don't, you know, I can't begin to understand it, but the truth of the matter is, is that the payers are saying, listen, just because, you know, Ross went back out and used one day, now they're back in treatment, doesn't necessarily mean that they get to stay in a certain place in the treatment and not move on. The insurance companies want the patients to progress and, and stay the, the course, and that's where you know, the patients have to take some responsibility in that and utilize what they're learning at Rebo's or another facility and and try to get through. You know, they tell us from day one that we have, when the patient admits, we have to stay focused on that discharge plan. Whether it's six months from now or nine months from now, we still have to stay focused on it and we have to keep it at the front, forefront of the patient so that they understand, you know, they're not going to be able to stay in PHP for two months and IOP for nine months, and and then go to outpatient. It's it's not that way anymore. There's been too much abuse by facilities who haven't been doing it the right way, and unfortunately, well, which is a shame. That's a shame because people are paying for it now.
1: I know, but in a lot yeah. of ways, it's kind of a shame because, I mean, frankly, I mean, a heroin addict a cocaine addict, anybody that's doing that much stuff, they need a certain level of care for X amount of time. And insurance companies are are judging what it's supposed to be as opposed to judging the facility that's actually giving it. So it's like I'm watching people die because it's like this person needs to be in six hours a day of treatment. And the insurance company's like, you know what? No. I mean, I remember a year ago, we had a girl that tried to commit suicide three times in a month. And the insurance Uh company's like, she should have it now. I mean, there has to be. I mean, granted, there's people in it. I mean, whether you're a candy maker or you're running a treatment facility, people are always cutting corners. But it's like they're taking the abuse out on the clients. I mean, for just I mean, they're not listening to like to experts that are saying like every client needs a minimum of 90 days of inpatient. Then, you know first detox, then inpatient, then outpatient, this needs to go over a year. I mean, the numbers just show that of success, that if you keep somebody for a year, you know, that's what it is. Now, granted, there are people that, you know, you know, that have, you know, you know, lung cancer, they won't stop smoking. They just won't. You know, I, I get that. And there's people that just will not stop doing drugs, will not stop drinking. I totally get that, and that's a different animal. But there are people out there that are like, I freaking want this bad. And right. they're just being booted. Um, it's, it's, I mean, it's so but frustrating. I, but I
2: think that's where the utilization review nurses, like, that we have here at Veritable, and, and I know we work very closely with your clinical staff, but I yeah. think that's where that person usually can fight and and most of the time win in that case where the patient is showing their commitment to the program that they have family support that they have a plan when they get out that they're working that those case management sessions to clear up their legal issues to get back in school to you know try and find a job you know that's what the case managers at the payer level are looking for and and sometimes Ross, we just don't get it and and I think what's happening with the payers is they're seeing the patients that are not committed to the program. And they're basically saying, listen, it's almost like fraud, right? We keep paying for substance abuse treatment and you keep relapsing. And we've given you all this time and detox and PHP and IOP, and you're still not helping yourself. So that some of the payers are saying enough is enough. And I think with the mix of People in the space that aren't doing it the right way for the right reasons, and I mean like owners and sober home owners that are, that are doing very bad things, like patient brokering and things like that, you know, then you have those who are really in it for the right reasons doing it the right way that have patients really committed. The insurance companies are starting to separate those two things. And, hey, you know, Angela, I live in Florida. Yes.
1: Hey, Angela, let me let me take a quick break, and I want to get jumping okay. back with this with you, okay? Um, I didn't mean okay. to cut you off. No, no, it's no, Take fine. a quick break. <laughs> Yeah, then we'll just jump back into this real quick. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We're talking to uh, Angela, the CEO of Veritable Billing. Uh, We'll be right back.
3: We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
0: Getting sober isn't just about not drinking and not doing drugs. It's a way of life. At Rebos, we have a team of talented professionals, each with their own clear and distinct message to walk clients from the darkest point in their lives out into the light. Rebos offers a carefully curated selection of groups and workshops in addition to a minimum of six individual sessions per week. At Rebos, we believe there are no cookie-cutter clients, and we meet every individual where they are at today. It's not a Rebos program. It's your program. Our team wants to help as many people as possible become who they want to be. And if you don't know who you want to be, we'll help you. Visit rebostreatment.com to learn more about the Rebos Treatment Center. That's rebostreatment.com.
3: Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market.
0: You are listening to The Power to Create Yourself with Ross Ramin. To find out more about Ross and the program, visit the Rebos Treatment Center website. At rebostreatment.com. Now, back to the power to create yourself.
1: Hi, good morning. Welcome back to the show. We're coming to you live today from Los Angeles, California, at the Rebos Treatment Center. Um, I'm getting way too wound up today. Um, I, I woke up out of bed this morning getting I was way too feisty. I just I I got Angela from Veritable Billing, um, Medical Billing. She's the CEO. And we are talking about health insurance for clients with, you know, specifically alcohol and drug addiction and what's being done and what's not being done. And this just gets me, I just, I get, I get fired up because I am, you know, I, I just, I just watch so many people, Angela, on a daily basis that just have, they're literally gifted. I mean, I personally, I look at. I look at people that are that are addicted to drugs and to alcohol really any substance food sex you know you name it and I, I, I it's an outlet for them I mean it really is an outlet for what they're trying to let off some steam they're trying to use it To, I mean, I, I frankly was not comfortable in my own skin, and when I could drink and do drugs, it, I felt like a different person. It gave me confidence, and once I see these clients, they come into, whether it's Rebo's or any treatment facility that I was a client at or worked at prior to this, um, you know, they have that moment where they're like, you look in their eyes. They literally have lost 50 pounds emotionally. Just, you can see it in their eyes. And then the insurance company like, you're done. And just because they look better doesn't mean they're done. The insurance uh-huh. company like, you're not paying for anything else. And I damn well know that they need a few more hours, a few more times a week. You know, it's... This is a nuclear war that we're in right now. And the insurance company gives us a butter knife right, you know, to start fighting stuff at like the worst possible times. Um, And it's so crushing because I watch people. I mean, talking about a pep talk you got to do with somebody, it's like your insurance just cut you off. You've got 30 days sober. You've been doing heroin for 17 years. Um, You've been living on the street. You have no job, but you really want it. Um, But you've just like, I mean, it's like you can't get any more help Um, and you really want it. And I see that happen. And I know you guys have, you know, great people, but sometimes just I I swear to God, it, it's like the person on the other phone at the insurance company, it's whether or not they had a good time the night before or not, you know, whether mm-hmm. or not they're going to bless somebody the next day. And it has nothing, I mean, you could have the almighty working at Veritable Building. I mean, you literally could have the almighty there. And right, that, it's true. That,
2: and and it, I feel like we do, these, you know, obviously we have a lot of clinical experience supporting these patients, but sometimes like you said it it's the matter of the other person on the other end of the line and they've heard every sob story and they've heard heard every sort of uh you know iteration of recovery and it's unfortunate but i will say like one of the things that we do that other facilities should do is you know start escalating to every possible level. When they deny care at the case manager level, there is another level. That's not the end of the world. You can request peer-to-peer. You can request, you know, the uh, chief medical officer to get on the phone with the patient psychiatrist or person that's in charge of their treatment. So, you know, you shouldn't always accept no as an answer. You know, we escalated to the highest level possible. And I just encourage the patient and their and their family to do the same. You know, um, it's all is not lost, but like you said, you know, we hear more about the patients that they say no to, but I will tell you, you know, that there has been some success stories where they've said no, the patient can't stay, and then when we escalate to -to peer-to-peer, we end up getting another month or we'll get another couple of weeks to try to prepare this patient and set them up for success. You know, um, you know, our clinical staff does the best they can do, but, you know, it's all about what is in the patient's record to support what we're asking for. And so I yeah. encourage the clinical staff to really tell the story. If you get nothing out of this talk today, it's to, you know, make sure that your records are, you know, better than they've ever been because the scrutiny is higher than it's ever been.
1: Yeah. You know, this morning I was on the way to work and I was listening to the, um, my, just my regular, my satellite radio in my car and they, um, S- speaker of the house, Paul Ryan had his weekly, um, uh, press conference. Um, and he officially announced that, you know, with our new president coming in, Donald Trump, that, uh, you know, Trump is really big on, uh, repealing the Obamacare and so on and so forth. And. But also, and a lot of people are always like, oh, he's repealing it, he's repealing it. And one thing that he's always said, and I, whether I'm Democrat or a Republican, is irrelevant. I always like just to tell the story on how it is. He always uh-huh. has said that, you know, he would like to replace it And this morning. The Speaker of the House officially just said, he goes, the day that Obamacare is repealed, whether that is tomorrow or in a year, that Mm -hmm. same day, that same hour, I I can't remember how he specifically said it, but he said that hour, there will be a replacement, you know, to catch us. So nobody's going to go, so everybody can calm down. There's going to, you know, they're going to repeal it and they're going to replace it. So it should be as smooth as possible. What are you which is great. I think a lot of people are hopefully they'll hear that. Hopefully they'll believe it. Hopefully they're telling the truth. Um, you know, that's happening. What what would you like to see? I mean, I know Obamacare in theory was kind of a neat idea. Everybody's gonna get some help, but it's it was put together so fast and so hastily that there's just so many just loose ends to it. People are paying You know, people like me are paying way too much for other people to have. It's just, it drives Mm -hmm. me nuts. Um, Well, it
2: just wasn't thought through. Obviously, it wasn't thought through completely from end to end. And I think, you know, we wanted the front end, but we didn't worry about what would happen on the back end. And I think we're seeing that this year and the increase in, you know, premiums that people have had to pay and the lack of coverage, not just in the substance abuse space, but all the spaces. You know, um, physicians weren't prepared, they weren't fully informed, you know, so we see it, you know, obviously substance abuse is one of the specialties that we bill for, but we have other specialties that see the sort of same pain, but in a, you know, oncology space or in a laboratory space, it's, it's no different. It's just the specialty is different, but the problem still remains. Um yeah. what I would like to see is I think it's a great idea to get Tom Price in the seat. You know, hopefully he'll be confirmed by the Senate. You know, he's a physician. He understands boots on the ground, how healthcare operates and how it has operated both pre-Obamacare and post. Um, but I do think, you know, one of the best things that could happen um, with some of the changes and look. Trump's not pulling the rug out from underneath the American people. And I think Paul Ryan was accurate in saying that the day they repeal is the day that the replacement plan will be set in motion. Um, they're not going to do anything that's going to put 22 million Americans out of health insurance. That's just not going to happen. You know, even the Republican Senate is not going to allow that to happen. Um,
1: There'd be but a lot of people taken off to the streets. That that would be, I mean, it's absolutely. just. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, more than what
2: we saw in L.A. when the election happened. I mean, I was actually in town that week. But, you know, yeah. the, the the fact of the matter is, you know, I would like to see um, on Trump's website. He was very clear about what his plan is and what he would like to do. Um, you know, he wants to for people like you and I, Ross, to be able to fully deduct our insurance premium payments from our tax returns. They don't have yeah. that now. You know, he wants these payers to compete. (laughs) He wants patients to be able to buy Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina from California. You know, yep. because all that does for us as a consumer is it causes the payers to actually put out a product that works for the consumer that's cost effective for the consumer. Today, that can't happen. I think I talked about that early on. If you live in New Jersey, you can purchase the plans that are available to you in New Jersey. You know, I want to see what Texas has to offer, and I want to see as a consumer what Florida has to offer versus you know, Tennessee versus California, because... Why can't we just all have one
1: big one? Why why does it have to be different for every state and every county?
2: It doesn't, but then you're getting into the platform of, like, what Medicare is today and what Medicaid is today, and I think, you know, they still, you know, Trump is going to force these large payers who make plenty of profit. I don't care what any of them say. These large payers who make plenty of profit you know, to compete in, in a consumer-driven market, and I think that will change the face of, of the plans that are available, um, of the policies that are available, and a, and a cost where patients can actually start, you know, comparing what they would get from a Texas plan versus a California plan versus a Florida plan. Only something healthy can come from that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it happens yeah, every day you're. with gas, right? You see the guy across the street, two thirty nine, the the other gas station, two thirty eight. It's you like going? car insurance you know too. What it's I mean? like car insurance. It's the same absolutely. And that's that's what he wants. I think the you, other you thing is is that he's he's gonna require this price transparency. And that I think is a big deal. You know, the price transparency is giving patients the opportunity to see how much it's gonna cost to have substance abuse treatment in California versus Florida versus Texas so that a patient can make an informed decision. You know, yeah. we're paying the premiums. We have to pay deductible and coinsurance and copay. This price transparency would allow patients to shop the best price for the procedure and maybe ex- expose them to better clinicians in the process.
1: Yeah. Angela, you um, are... You are brilliant when it comes to this stuff. You really are. You do a hell of a job. If somebody Thanks. wants to get a hold of Veritable for you know to use you know your company services for their company, um, you don't work with the private sector, but you work with companies. What who who? How do they get a hold of you?
2: So we have a website, veritablebilling.com. Um, they can also reach us at our office, five six one five seven zero one two six zero. Our, you can contact us through our website um, or you can call us. But, you know, we nice. also do consulting. So you may not need a billing company. You may just need another way to look at your accounts receivable or help you with your utilization review. You know, so we support practices all different ways.
1: Wonderful, wonderful. Well, Angela, you, um, I can really say this from the bottom of my heart. I know you fight like hell for these clients to, you know, to you know, to get the miracle that they deserve um, just to have a new life. Um, I really appreciate all you do. It means the world to me, um, and I Thank speak for you. the clients, and I'm, I know that they are—they're thrilled when they can actually get another week to work on something, to get over something, to become the person that they that they're meant to be. Um, and you're a vital part of that. So I really, really appreciate it. So thanks so Thank much you. for joining us today. Thanks, Rob. Um, Thank you, guys. Thanks a- yeah. Thanks to everybody for joining me today. My name is Ross Rameen. Um, we're coming to you from the Rebose Treatment Center here in Los Angeles, California. Uh, we've been talking with Angela Opalik, uh, the CEO of Veritable Billing, and we can't thank you enough. Uh, we'll see you again next week. Thanks, everyone.
0: Thank you for joining us this week on The Power to Create Yourself. We hope to have you tune in again next Tuesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, for another edition with Ross Ramin on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have an enlightening week.